Welcome, astronomers and astronauts, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name's Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men, number 184, the August 1984 issue on sale May 8th, 1984, priced at 60 cents. And this one's titled The Past of Future Day. Give me back the Give me style. Do you think this ties in with the day of fu- day, uh, excuse me the days of future past? Well, it's clearly a str- stretch to like turn that title into another title, but yeah, yeah, it definitely correlates. Okay, I wasn't sure. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, on the cover of this one, you have got Professor Xavier in his sexy new duds, uh, presumably on the astral plane because he's see through, and then a dark-haired woman who I think we recognize from the last issue. Yep. Her name, I think, was revealed in that issue as Celine. Yep. We we faithful New Mutants readers might also recognize her. Oh, true. And uh, really detail-oriented New Mutants readers might recognize the girl that's laying on the ground. Or Days of Future Past readers. That's true. But we had that conversation last week. Right on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they're fighting, and there's flames and mental blasts going back and forth. It's Rachel. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> and that's it. It's uh, you know, it's an okay cover. Nothing, nothing exciting. It's good. I like it. I mean, you got Wouldn't flames. Put it on a t-shirt, but it's good. I think that that is a good benchmark. Like if if I'm, it's 1984. I go into the comic book shop and I see the flames and these two fighting. I might check it out. But you're right; it's not like you don't put this on a poster. So it's cool. Yeah. It's one of the least popular X Men. I feel like the Professor will never be popular. Oh no, <laughs> not really. I don't know why Chris Claremont cares so much about him. He's and it's in that one way he's just not tapped in. What do you mean? Like, because he has a costume and stuff or what? I don't know, because he puts so much effort into his character and developing it and his love story and all this stuff, trying to make him interesting. And hmm. I'd never really thought of it that way. I thought of it more of him trying to, uh, I mean, think about like the X-Men of uh, old, right? Where the X-Men would like fight and lose and then the professor would swoop in and save him. After about 20 or so issues of that, I mean, all writers kept trying to cripple him or get rid of him or put him in a coma or something to make it so that the X-Men would have to stand on their own two feet. Well, that's the question is why does the X-Men need the professor? Like the, not not the not the characters, but I mean, why does the comic book need Professor X? Why didn't they just kill him off and be done with it? That's a good question. I don't have an answer to that. I mean, they needed him for giant-sized X-Men number one to bring all the X-Men together. Well, right. So, I mean... Why why does Chris Claremont continue writing him in and doing all these different characterizations? I mean, I I think it's it's just because he likes the character. 
I think I really feel like at this point in Chris Claremont's writing, like he has the next 20 issues not written but plotted. Uh, and arced. Uh, and I think he is focusing on the professor because I think he's building to something. Okay. <laughs> That's just my opinion. But of course, I've read ahead and I know what, what happens. But I hope it's worth it. I hope so too. At any rate, in Dallas, Texas, you have Valerie Cooper and Raven Darkholm. And they are visiting a place called Eagle Plaza, which is Raven Dark Holmes' friend Forge's building. What is their connection? Valerie refers to Forge as your man, uh, Raven Dark Holmes' man. So they're clearly like associates of some sort. I think they're purely associates. Uh, how did they meet? How did how did Raven come across Forge? And how did their relationship evolve? And how did she get him government work because I, I guess let's put a pin in that because i think there's a panel that we can kind of speculate off of some of that stuff is yeah is spelled out but yeah okay. so we'll, we'll just put a pin on that and, and but I, I still have some other questions um so we're carrying on uh so he designed the entire building and owns the top 10 floors yes and that's when we enter into his penthouse, which is three floors, but it's just a crazy hologram of mountains and trees. And he's got a couple of rooms. It's a very cool looking setup, right? You got like a bedroom, but it's kind of floating in the mountains. You got a living room that's at the base of the mountains, uh, etc. And, uh, you know, uh, Raven's like, hey, this is what he does. So watch out. Uh, people have been known to fall if they're not paying attention. Now, has she ever been here before? Because in the last panel, she looks really surprised, and they even give her a dot dot dot. Well, let's put but a then, pin, let's put a pin in that one too, because. But then in this panel, she is, is basically describing it. He replicates the physical environment as well. Feel the breeze, smell the wildflowers. This is true. That the next best thing to be there. Watch your step, though. Those platforms you see are free floating. People have been known to get confused and fall off. Right. I think what that's saying is that those rooms that are free floating, uh, there's no walls. Like you go up those stairs and you just kind of keep, it's kind of a stupid design, right? <laughs> I mean, if you uh, walk too far away from the bed or the, the dining room table, you, you might fall. Well, I think there are walls. I just think they're invisible. So you don't know which, like you can't see the walls. So sometimes there might not be walls, Okay. but there are definitely floors and there are definitely levels. And she says it's five five stories tall, so there's five stories here. Yeah, and this is also... It's, it's very interesting. This is also where we get the credits. Uh, Chris Claremont is the writer. John Romita Jr. and Dan Green are the artists. Glennis Ween is the colorist. Tom Marzakowski is the letterer and Nascente is the editor. And Him Huter is the editor-in-chief. And I got to say, um, for me anyways, the combination of uh, Romita and Green uh, really works well here. I, I mean, I know that they've been in the past few issues, but for me anyways, this is the issue where they're like hitting their stride. I feel like... Like it's really well done. Okay. Um, I guess I, 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 I wouldn't disagree with that. <laughs> so an eagle comes flying in and it scares Val Cooper, uh, which is weird because Raven's like, what is it? What's wrong? As if she doesn't see this eagle. So Yeah, I, which made me think like, does she not see this? But then I think maybe she just wasn't expect her, expecting her to react that way. I feel so foolish crying out like that, but it seems so real, says Val Cooper. Raven says, believe me, I understand during my first visit, Ford scared me half to death. So obviously she has been here before for some reason, which I think we can talk about in a minute. 
She says, fortunately, you get used to it and him. And then you hear some fighting from off panel. Uh, and well, we don't see him yet, but it's an older man who's saying like, you gotta come back. The ancient patterns. You gotta do your bidding, your calling, your sacred duty. Basically, it's an Indian chief telling Forge that he needs to come back to his people. Does this ever get followed up on? I have no idea. It absolutely gets followed up on. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And this is like, you don't know it now, but this is a major, major storyline that happens later. Okay. Anyways, yeah. So, but he, uh, Forge, I'm sure I've read it. I just don't remember it. I guarantee you've read it. Okay. So you'll know it when you see it. Uh, anyways, Forge is like rejecting. It's like, that's the old world. I don't do that anymore. You got to find somebody else. So this guy is this Indian guy. His name is Naze, but there's like a, an apostrophe above the Z. So I don't know how you pronounce that. Naze? Naze. Sure. Well, then you'd think that the accent would be above the E, but. Oh, what is the accent above? Above the Z. So maybe it's like Naze. Oh, yeah. There, there you go. So, and uh, he says, uh, we couldn't find anybody. You're it. So we're screwed. Nothing remains of them saved their bleached bones. Poor guys. Yeah. So, Naje, as we'll call him for now, he uh, takes the elevator out, leaves, and he's like, you're a coward. Uh, your, do- uh, your cowardice will doom you and all you hold dear. I'm out. And that's when we meet Forge. The hologram disappears. A man in very high-cut jogging shorts and like a little uh, black and white striped sailor's polo. Oh, yeah. It's the 80s. <laughs> he walks out. He's got a... He's got a bionic leg. Uh, I'm guessing he probably has a bionic hand because it's uh, got a black glove on. In his other this hand, is, he's got a, a little walking cane. This is the bionic leg that would launch a million cables. <laughs> That's right. This is the beginning. I'm Forge. He introduces himself. He apologizes for Najé, and he says that I'm not his child or his pupil. By the way, Ray, you look good. So they clearly have past relationship of some kind probably very professional yeah i'm I, guessing I wish, maybe not does this ever get explored i don't i don't know that not in this issue and i don't know overall so there's there's a whole i'll spoil it a little bit there's a whole storyline coming up called life death and i've never actually read them and i'm looking forward to it because i think it's all it's uh it's all barry windsor smith right well right life death and then there's life death too but right. those are all they're both one issue but they're both double-sized issues right and and I don't want to spoil what they're about in case those of you who haven't read it, but maybe his, okay, so he's in it, but maybe his and uh, uh, Raven's relationship is talked about in it. I have no idea. Other than that, I don't think so. I've read them. I don't remember them. Okay. So anyways, he, uh, he takes them to the lab. And he, they start talking about how the U.S. is in an armed conflict with an extraterrestrial ra- uh, race of dire wraiths. All right. So this is tying the X-Men into Rom Space Knight. Remember Rom Space Knight? I do. And Forge even says, like, the Space Knight Rom uses an analyzer and a neutra- neutralizer. But we can't replicate that. Right. So Rom gets a mention here. I have a question, though. In uh, X-Men number 96, do you remember, uh, didn't they fight some, like, creatures? And were those dire wraiths? X-Men number 96. It's the one, uh, you know, it's right after, uh, it's like, remember Cyclops goes on a walk in the backyard and he fights some creatures and they make it back to the mansion? Um, Those were... I think those were demons, but I don't think those were dire wraiths. Okay. I guess I don't I don't remember. 
I probably should have looked that up beforehand. Perhaps. I'll look it up next time. Anyways. <laughs> no, he won't. Yeah, you're right. So, so Forge has been trying to replicate Rom's technology, uh, and he's gotten close, but not quite there. So um, in the few issues of Rom that we've covered, basically Rom is on a quest to uncover all of these dire wraiths. And as mentioned here, he has special weapons that both allow him to recognize uh, when a dire wraith is disguised as a human being and uh, a gun that, and they call it a neutralizer here, but what, what, well, they even describe it. It banishes them to a other dimensional limbo. Right. Uh, so it's not really a neutralizer so much as a banished gun. Well, not the gun that Forge created, but the gun that Rom has, right? Right. Yeah. So two things we we, we did miss. Uh, one, he, he talks about how uh, when Tony Stark stopped designing weapons for the government, the government turned towards Forge. So since Raven Darkholm is the deputy director of the defense and advanced research projects, blah, 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 it would stand to reason that she would have probably been involved in contract negotiations, interviews, oversight, etc. So that could be one way to explain how their relationship came about. Tony Stark is no longer producing weapons. I know a guy. <laughs> His name is Forge. Uh, and so he also talks about uh, well, Valerie says, I love the hollow projection system. Forge says, well, I, you know, just kind of whipped those up to pass the time. I gave one to Raven. Would you like one? And she's like, sure. She's like, all right, make it. It'll be done. So we already it know. It's like Forge. Jeez. I mean, he, this guy is super nice. And it really does seem like he and Raven have talked, right? I mean, yeah. if he's doing her favors, like, here, have some technology. I don't need this. They're practically buddies. Yeah. Uh, so the gun is a gun that is, has the capability of neutralizing the power of any superior being mutant or otherwise. So you shoot the person and they will effectively become a normal person. But it hasn't been field tested yet. And so he's not willing to release the prototype to the government. He's not sure if there will be physical or psychological damage done because of this gun. And he's not sure how even to test it. Um, he doesn't know if the effects would be temporary or permanent. Right. So, he, so he's like, I going to hang on to this for a little bit. Can't release it yet. You know, we'll figure something out. But I have this other thing. This other thing is a mutant detector. It'll detect anybody who's a mutant, alien, Cree, uh, or scrawl. It can differentiate between the two. And Whoa, what's this? Wait, wait. There's a mutant in this room. In this very room. Well, you skipped over the part where it can also detect diorates, which is presumably the point of the machine. Oh, right. And but yes, there is a mutant in the room. Raven's like, what? She thinks to herself. See me, me? What am I going to do? I'm going to have to kill him. I'm Mystique, leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I'm going to kill Val. I'm going to have to kill Forge. I'm going to have to kill all these people. Forge throws back his head and laughs. <laughs> My apologies, ladies. The mutant is me. Very funny, says Valerie. Raven also looks very perturbed and says, Indeed, Destro. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks to herself, so close to total disaster. Uh, I'll have to make certain that Forge's scanner is never used, or failing that to disguise my real nature from it. Finally, most assuredly, to repay our host in jest, or in full, for his little jest. She's mad. She's P.O.'d. So she wants revenge because he told a joke. Uh, well, she almost blew his cover. So, so, so two things here. 
the first thing that I notice is that the machine is... Well, hold on, because you, you, you don't want to skip over Forge's thought bubble. Okay, go ahead. I know what you're about to get into, because Forge then thinks to himself, whatever happened to Ray's, Raven's sense of humor? If looks could kill, my troubles would be over. I really spooked her. I wonder why. Has she got something to hide? All right. So do you think that Forge knows she's a mutant, but doesn't know that she's the leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and has an ulterior motive? Or here's what I think. And I just thought of this just now. All right. Lay it on me. All the detector does is tell whether or not there's a mutant in the room. So it's like mutant. Yes. But it doesn't say how many there are. It doesn't say where they are, any of that stuff. The other thing is that I'm also noticing right now the little radar dish on top of it is pointing at Forge. Oh, sure. So there's there's two possible options, and I'm making this up as I go. Sure, sure. Um, so I'm thinking maybe that the either either the gun or the the scanner doesn't tell how many mutants there are in the room, just that there's a mutant, and and possibly the radar dish also plays into it. But yeah, I had the same question that you have was how does how does Forge with a device in the room not realize that Raven is a mutant? Right. So I feel like the failing in this machine here is that um wouldn't he design it to detect how many mutants there were? Or if he can't do that because it's just too uh, abstract of a concept for a machine to grasp, like the level of intensity of power, right? So he'd be like, 78%. And then he could be like, okay, I'm baselining it on myself. Whenever I'm in the room, it registers as 40. And so when he ran it and he saw a higher number, wouldn't he be like, ooh, that's weird. We need to know more about the machine. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. That's all I. That's all I can guess. Because like uh, clearly, Forge does not realize that Raven is a mutant. Right. So, I feel like that's a little weird. It is. Anyhow, so uh, now he's offering lunch. He's a superb cook, and uh, he can guarantee that the view is the best. Oh yeah. Have you seen this? It's a five-story apartment with holograms. Yeah, you could have a view of anything you wanted to. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's like a giant pinup calendar of forge on the walls. <laughs> That's me when I used to have two legs. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in New York City, we are getting a televised recap of the events in uh, Tokyo, where the X-Men defeated a giant dragon. And we zoom out a little, and it turns out that the redhead from the previous issue of New Mutants um, is watching outside of a closed television shop. I think we can say it's Rachel. It's Rachel. Yes. And she's watching this and she's kind of reflecting on where she is and what she's doing. And she's like, I recognize all those people, but who's that woman? It can't be Storm. Aurora never looked like that. And it continues to go on. The justification of the national security has been used to explain the introduction uh, in Congress by Senator Robert Kelly of the Mutant Affairs Control Act, among whose more draconian provisions. Click. The lights go off because... She guesses that the store is on an electric timer and uh, all all the appliances in the store go off at this time. There's an electric timer that shuts everything off. So it's nine o'clock right now. Everything's turned off. And she's like, what? I need to see what happened. So she turns the TV back on using her telekinetic powers uh, just to catch the end of the broadcast with John Cheever of the BBC reporting. And she's thinking to herself, I missed it. She's like, what was the name of that bill? Senator Kelly. I don't understand any of this. The bill was introduced because he was killed, not by him. Right. So a little recap on uh, Days of Future Past. Kitty was sent back in time by Rachel 
to stop the assassination of Robert Kelly. Um, yeah. By, uh, what was it, the Freedom Force? Oh, wait, no, Freedom Force doesn't exist yet. No. Uh, by Mystique and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Right. Yeah, that's all you and, need to know. Uh, so that assassination uh, resulted in the this bill that Senator Kelly is now passing on his own. The assassination itself is actually causing him, the assassination attempt is causing him to want to pass that same bill, essentially. Right. He's scared. He is. She mentions she went to the mansion yesterday looking for Professor Xavier. Ilyana answered the door. She was a 15-year-old girl, but the Ilyana she remembers was 15 when she died, and that day is still years in the future. It makes no sense. My time shift was successful. I'm in the past, but is it the right past? My past? And as she's scuffling off into the distance, it looks like some wind or fog whips up, and uh, we hear a voice say magnificent, and it's Celine who pops out, and she's like, I've never sensed so much power. I'm not sure why she's posing here. I like to pose because I'm pretty. <laughs> this metropolis has provided me with great sport since my arrival, especially that Superman character. Huh? Uh, metropolis. I don't know. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a stretch. That was, that, was a, that was a real stretch. <laughs> Come on. Batman versus Superman. People are thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyways. She she uh, says, uh, tonight it offers something f- Far more precious. Not pray for Selene, the demon huntress, but a disciple, an heir. So here it reads as if she would like to use Rachel, uh, well, taste some of Rachel's power, but use her as a, a disciple. Right. Okay. So now that that's been established, we'll keep reading. Okay. <laughs> so Rachel uh, starts to hear, or thinks she hears something, feels like she's being stalked, and then a fire truck goes by. Wee, wee, wee. And she's like, ah! Right. She thought that somebody was out in the fog, but when the uh, the fire truck blasts by, she's like, I'm so jumpy. Uh, that time shift took way more out of me than I thought. I am, uh, she says she's as good as, question mark, uh, exclamation point. A comic hand reaches out. <laughs> yep. Looks like she's got a stretchy hand. Uh, and grabs her by the chin and says, what did you say about time shifts? <laughs> I like time shifts. It sounds powerful. Come to me, child. Yield to my dark embrace and you will never, never need fear again. Get away from me. Get away from me, says Rachel. And she drops her bags and takes off running. Her hunger is so strong in her mind. She wants my life. I got to get out of here. And she runs into a club past a guy named Jerry, who's the bouncer of the club, is like, hey, what are you doing, girl? This club's members only. Hey. Come back. Here. You. Jerry, go get her. And this is, uh, is this kind of the first introduction of, like, telecon- tele- telepathy overload? I feel like this happened to Gene before, but maybe that wasn't a classic X-Men. Yeah, I can't. I'm not sure. Don't recall. But it's it's one, it, we'll learn these to be classic uh, telepathic character foibles where they run into a room and when they let their psi shields down, you get all these little blips of, of, of thoughts, which I don't know. It's fun. It's interesting. I like to read, I like to read all of them. Like these are all not very exciting, but every now and then when you're reading them, you'll get things that are like, nobody would ever think that. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'll point them out when we get to them, uh, if we get to them. But well, here's one: yum. <laughs> right. Somebody just thinks yum randomly, but there's other ones that I don't know. But she also gets a. a, a, a so somebody's a, thinking blah. <laughs> oh, you know what? I read that as blam. Blah makes more sense. <laughs> a dog, cute, yum, blah. I'd like to. She's alone, <laughs> Rachel. And that's when she hears the vampire's voice in her head and the that voice, the vampire. I can't black them out of my mind. So she's definitely on psychic overload, but then the bouncer snaps her out of it by grabbing her shoulder and says, Come on, showtime's over. Get out of here. She, I'm throwing her out. This is apparently Club D. Oh, yeah. What do you think the D stands for? Uh, I think we... Oh, it's the last name of the owner, uh, Damiano. Damiano? You could have come up with so many other funny things. I wanted to go D's... for the legit. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> So, yes, the bouncer's getting ready to throw her out, but uh, Damiano, or Nick Damiano, who is the apparently the owner of the club, is like, hey, 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 hands off the merchandise. I'll take it from here. She's harmless. Yeah, she's a junkie. Of course she's harmless. She's all skin and bones. Look at that. It's crazy. She's not a junkie. I'll take her back to my place. Yeah, and bouncer's uh, like, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. It seems like a terrible idea. I better call your dad. I mean, you do what you got to do, but I'm, I'm totally calling your dad on you. He ain't gonna like this one bit. And I don't know if Nick Damiano's dad is anybody, or if that's just a throwaway line. I'm curious. Because this would be an oppor- well, <laughs> it would be an opportune time to involve his father if his father was anybody of power for like a subplot later on down the line. Definitely. But, uh, yeah. You know, Chris Claremont always throwing out threads there in case he needs to grab him. Yeah. So she or he takes Rachel back to his apartment and, uh, you know, he's super nice. He's like, you know, make yourself at home. Let me get you something to eat and go take a bath. Rachel's thinking to herself, like, he's totally altruistic. Like, he doesn't have any ulterior mood, uh, motives. He's just really concerned about me. What a nice guy. It reminds him of Franklin. Ah, uh, yes. Who do you think Franklin is? It's Franklin Richards. We saw him. Did they refer to him as Franklin Richards or just Franklin? They, it's a good question, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fine. It's Franklin. We, we all know it's Franklin Richards. All right. So, uh, you know, they, they have a little chit chat and uh, uh, Damien, Damiano, he pours her some orange juice and she's like, oh my God, give me more, more, must have more. <laughs> Real orange juice? Oh, Nick, it's been years since I had any. Be my guest. Whoops, don't spill. Can't who? I can't help myself. I'm I'm just I can't stop shaking. Orange juice makes me shake. So apparently she just drinks glass after glass of orange juice. She's super hungry, so he's like, Well, I'll make some dinner, but first why don't you go over to my bathroom over there and just, you know, have at it. Get yourself clean. So she does. She heads over. She looks in the mirror and she's like, oh my God, look at me. I look terrible. And my hair. Bet my mom never looked so awful. It'll probably take forever to grow my hair back again. And then she says, oh, that wonderful, darling, magnificent man. He has bubble bath. So she get, and it's a big, big bubble bath. It's... It's really big. You can fit like five people in this bubble bath. She, I don't know how bubble bath works, but she used all of it. Oh, man. And she looks like she's she's got her glass of orange juice to her side. She's in the tub. She's relaxing. I mean, we have to... All right. Let me ask you this, Adam. Do we... We know where she's from, right? We know Days of Future Past. We know that this is that Rachel. So she probably in almost her entire lifetime hasn't known this sort of luxury. Yeah. So she's she's drinking it in. 
She knows what bubble bath is. Well, I mean, well, we saw in New Mutants that she was probably, you know, 10 or 12 when the professor was shot through the chest, right? So she probably had bubble baths between 1 and 10. Okay. Yeah. So she knows what it is. It's just, it's been a long time. So then she realizes quickly that... Hey, Jeremy. What? It's been a while. (laughs) It it has been a while, Adam. Uh, that's, That's my favorite of... Stain's songs, right? That's, I, is that's, it, I thought it was Creed, but is, I suppose is it, it could. Is it Creed and the song is called Stained? I don't know. All right. <clears throat> I don't know either. And I'm not going to look it up because I don't care. Yeah. Anyway, so she notices that something's not right and she realizes that Nick uh, is not in psychic, uh, her psychic periphery. It's possible that she thinks to herself that he left and maybe she dozed off and didn't notice him leaving. There's no, no need to, no, no reason to panic. If I had felt him left, if he had left, I'm sure I would have felt him leave. I couldn't have gotten that careless. She sees him. He is sitting in front of a candle lit dinner, but she still can't, uh, psychically perceive him. She goes to to grab him. She thinks, did the time shift cause uh, long-term effects to her side talent? She that's something she didn't bargain for, and and then uh, and then he's dead. Yep, he's all dusty and it's corpsified. That's when Celine pops out, and she's like, uh, she pulls the rug out on her. She uh, one of her powers is to uh, add motion to objects. So the rug itself reaches up and grabs her and wraps itself around her. Uh, Rachel, that is. She's got control over, um, I don't know, inanimate objects or something. Yeah. Or, yeah, I don't know. Some It's not quite molecule man level, but she's got control over her surroundings. So she wraps her, her up um, and says that she's the predator. She's the dark huntress, Celine. Um, let's see. Uh, I am a predator child since time immemorial. Homo sapiens has been the prey of the dark huntress, Celine. Very soon now it shall be yours as well. So earlier she she was saying that she wanted her as a disciple. And now she's saying she wants her as prey. No, 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 no. You're reading it wrong. Okay. Uh, she's still very soon. Uh, Homo sapiens will be your prey as well. She's saying you're reading between the lines. No, no, no. I am reading exactly what is printed. I'm I'm spelling it out for you. Oh, she says since time immemorial, Homo sapiens has been the prey of the dark huntress Celine. Soon it shall be yours as well. Uh-huh. Okay, fair enough. I like to skip words when I read, so <laughs> I, I lose a lot of meaning. Rachel responds, "Never!" and blasts her with a side blast straight to the fore face, which knocks her across the room. Yeah, and she's uh, definitely feeling better after the the bubble bath. Uh, so Rachel picks up basically all the knives and plates and chairs and hurls it at Celine, who is like, "Meh, I have control over inanimate objects. It's absolute. I can reduce them to dust." And that's exactly that's what happens. Pretty powerful. That's very powerful. So I guess what they're saying is that I can turn in or let me think here. Inorganic matter or just like not living matter? Inanimate well, in, objects. Inanimate objects. So So if you were to add a spring to something, would she no longer have control over it? Uh no, because <laughs> she could she would she could control everything around her, right? So wouldn't it matter? Or would it matter? It's like maybe she couldn't control well, I don't know, a spring is an inanimate object. <laughs> I know. <but. laughs> I, I think I think what they're getting at is that like she she has control over non living objects. Yes. Which is essentially what Molecule Man has, I guess, right? 
Although, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is essentially the same power because in the next panel, she's able to manipulate the floor into kind of creating some, I don't know, wooden boots for Rachel. So she's like stuck to the ground and then also makes a wooden floor tidal wave over Rachel. The difference, I think, is that Celine does not appear to be making things bigger than they are. I think oh. Molecule Man can manipulate molecules. He can make molecules them so that they things can get expand and um, can whereas, he can he also turn like one thing into another thing? Yeah. Whereas I think Celine is just manipulating yes uh, objects, but not changing their uh, molecular properties. Well, she does turn things into dust. But she doesn't change their their volume, I suppose. Okay. They stay the same size. They just change their shape. I know what I'm getting at. (laughs) I I think I do, too. And maybe she's not turning it into dust so much as uh, uh, just turning it into particles of the same thing that it was. Right. Right. So not changing its molecular structure from, like, uh, metal to wood, but just wood to wood particles. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad we agree with that. So she... Pulls the floor up, um, and she's going to smother Rachel with the floor. But by doing that, the gas and electrical lines underneath the floor are being pulled up with the floor, and they they snap, and uh, gas is is let loose, and some sparks are happening underneath the floorboards, and an explosion is caused. Yow! Screams Rachel as fire shoots up from the floor. Flames, how lovely and so useful, Rachel, for I can control them as well. (laughs) So Celine is a vampire. She has control over um, uh, inanimate objects, and she has control over fire. Well, fire is not non-organic, so, I mean, one could be argued that it's not necessarily an object. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a gas, but I suppose, I mean... At that point, then she's got control over oxygen and water and a host of other things. It's very powerful. She's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to mess with her. Embrace my darkness, Rachel. Be one with me. Savor in the full measure of the joy of the eternal hunt, the ecstasy of the kill. Let's be friends. So she she puts all of her power into Rachel's mind and breaks down the psi shields. And Rachel is very uncomfortable. Her thoughts are becoming uh, Celine's, but she won't give up. So now she's going to use, uh, I guess, a technique that the professor taught her to, to scream out or reach out or whatever. Uh, so she does call it the professor. And uh, she's telling the professor to follow her thoughts and to help her. And that's when the professor does appear in his astral form, in his sexy new duds. I don't think that's what happens. No? Well, I think... The I think uh, the professor, as he when the, the professor appears in his fancy new duds and says, as Cerebro indicated, two mutants both possessing considerable power. So I think the professor was tracking these two mutants to begin with, and he just happens to come across this. I guess you're right. A little earlier, the professor says, "Child, can you hear me?" And that's when she says, "Professor, Professor Xavier." Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. You're right. He, he, they probably detected the power surge on Cerebro, started tracking, found her. Uh, the professor probably sensed that Rachel's thoughts were on the good side and Celine's are on the bad side. Anyways, yeah, so the professor confronts Celine and says, uh, stand away from the girl or you will suffer the consequences. Now, how do, how does the professor know Celine's name? Uh, he read her mind. <laughs> well, okay. uh, wait, 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 uh, where does he say her name? I am Charles Xavier. Stand away from the girl, Celine. 
And leave her be or suffer the consequences. Because after Professor says, child, can you hear me? She says, Professor Xavier, Celine, she's stealing my life soul. Hurry, Professor, oh, okay. follow my okay. thoughts. I missed that. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And so that's when three of the X-Men burst into the burning apartment. It's Colossus, Rogue, and Nightcrawler. And immediately Rogue's like, get out of here, Nightcrawler. You're going to burn. <laughs> What? Oh. <laughs> Little heads up, Professor. So he teleports out. Nightcrawler, Celine is trying to escape. Intercept her. Okay, come here, Fraulein. But I just left. <laughs> Guide the others to me, Professor, and quickly, I cannot stay here long. So Celine's clearing a path to the fire and, and has Rachel. Uh, meanwhile, Rogue and Colossus are barreling through the flames, kind of helping each other get over little traps and such. Yeah, it's it's the, the whole apartment is burning down and Colossus almost falls into a hole through the floor, which would be bad. But Rogue grabs him and says, no, no, no sense ruining your pretty new costume. It's first night out. And that's when I first noticed that, oh, Colossus has a new costume. Yeah, yeah. Took me a few panels, but I figured it out. Yeah. Spasiba (laughs) Rogue. And uh, Celine is like, how dare you challenge me tonight, Crawler? I've been around forever and ruled empires. As the saying goes, it's a living. (laughs) Professor pays a, well, a decent stipend, but, you know, (laughs) better than the circus. We come to think about it, it's not. Everybody makes fun of me, and I put my life on the line every time. By the way, Liebchen, do you know you're beautiful when you're angry? Would you like to go out on a date? Uh, never mind that I have a girlfriend. <laughs> Celine wraps Nightcrawler's costume around his mouth, I guess, to shut him up. And that's when Rogue says the weirdest thing. She says, why ain't you let the girl decide that for herself on her own free will? Why is Rogue saying Wyant? <laughs> Wyant being a triple, no, a double contraction. Y apostrophe, or W-H-Y apostrophe N apostrophe T. I'm sure it's grammatically correct. Well, it's a it's a shortening of why don't. Right, I get it. I don't, I, I don't it should be, I would think that it would be widened. <laughs> <laughs> why do not you let the girl decide Wyant? But Nobody says Wyant. I don't, ah, uh, yeah, we'll have to keep our eyes open for more Wyants. I promise you, I guess I can't promise, but I'm almost certain that she's never said and never will again say Wyant. That sounds like a professorism. Like, hasn't he said, daren't you mess with me? Like, <laughs> dare not you mess with me or something like that? I uh, have a feeling, okay, so Rogue tackles Celine and says, I got to make this short and sweet before the elf and Rachel both get barbecued. Well, that's the other now, thing. B four, B apostrophe four, and then Barb apostrophe cued. Like this isn't how Rogue talks. <laughs> I feel like a villain writer just like pinch is pinch hitting for uh Chris Claremont at this point. And Chris Claremont screwed around with it, but here's what I think that uh the professor has taken over Rogue's body at this point. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Because um because Rachel would not start referring or uh, Rogue would not start referring to Rachel in her thoughts this soon. They they just met her. She overheard that her name is Rachel. I I think she would be like referring to her as the girl. Right. Before Elf and that girl get barbecued. Right. Yeah. So I think it's the professors in everybody's head. It's like, this is the way that uh, Rogue talks. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. So he's really just controlling everybody. And then when everything's done, everybody's like, huh, didn't feel like I did that, but I must have. I said, why ain't? Well, look, uh, the professor seems to burst out of Rogue in the next couple of panels. 
Right. So Celine and Rogue are tussling. Celine's skin is touching Rogue's skin, but Rogue is not absorbing her powers. Instead, it's the reverse. Rogue's life is draining into Celine. So that's when, as you said, the professor bursts out of what looks like Rogue. Stop! And then we see in bullpen bulletins that issue number one of Transformers comes out this month. Ooh, that's a good one. That's exciting. By Frank Springer. That's your boy. That's my boy. Uh, he he got sick and tired of Dazzler and went on to Transformers. Also, Power Pack number one. Oh, who's in Power Pack? Um, all those those the, those little kids. I know Franklin's also in Power Pack from time to time. Oh, is he? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's like a friend of theirs or something. Never really read Power Pack, but I was wondering, was it like, because I mean, they're like 12 or something like that. Uh, and one of them could fly. Uh, like, did they go fly over to the the Baxter building and like pick him up? I don't know. Like at some point in my life, it would be interesting to read Power Pack. Just to My see. experience with Power Pack is probably the same of yours. They have crossovers and I read those. Yeah. Yep. And then there was always that ad for like, there was like a Power Pack Spider-Man crossover thing. Yeah, it's like s- sexual assault or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, which always kind of creeped me out. These little kids like, if somebody touches you in a way you don't like, tell an adult. Yeah. I mean, it's a good message, but it was like, I don't know, it's creepy because it's just little kids. That always reminds me of that Spider-Man hooky graphic novel. Which one? Remember Hookie? No. There was like a Spider-Man Hookie graphic novel. Was he, was he skipping school? I don't think he was skipping school, but maybe. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I never read it, so I have no <laughs> idea what it's about. Always wondered. Hmm. Well, anyways, uh, Celine starts referring to the professor as Xavier. Xavier's mental attack. It's like she knows his name. Like they're on a, you know, name basis at this point. Yeah, this is... This is uh, other, you know, this issue's good. Just I don't like that everybody is referring to everybody by name. There's it's just, too soon. Th- we don't know each other. Well, there's that, and then there's Rogue's kooky dialogue, right? So I'm, I'm not going to give that up. I just feel like somebody, like, you know, Chris is helping Jim Shooter with uh, Secret Wars right now. Maybe. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. So, anyways, uh, Rogue and Colossus... Well, let me think here. Uh, well, Celine takes off because yeah. the professor has mental blast is too much that she can bear, so she runs straight into the fire. And the professor loses track of her in the static. Right. Don't try to follow X-Men. It's too dangerous, so they lose her. Uh, Rogue and uh, Colossus burst out of the side of the apartment. Uh, Colossus has Rachel and Nightcrawler over his shoulders, because I guess, did Nightcrawler? Oh, Nightcrawler must have, like, passed out after being choked by his costume. Yeah. So they pop out of the side of the wall. So in the first panel, when Rogue bursts out, it looks like they're bursting out of a first floor apartment, and they probably are. But in the second panel, when Colossus is bursting out, it looks like he's jumping out of a building, and there's no bottom in sight. Hmm. Because in the distance behind her, you see Storm flying. So he could be up on, like, the 50th floor. The perspective's Hmm. all weird. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways. Didn't didn't he say he was in the penthouse? Well, they're both on the same floor. I don't know if they're... is Is this a house? Or an apartment. I imagine it's a, an apartment. It's in New York, right? He did the renovation himself, so he owns the the apartment. Well, it could be anyway, a, whatever. It could be a condo. <laughs> yeah. So Rogue Storm, rather, she uses her elemental powers to call a rainstorm to put the fire out, and then she thinks to herself that the professor makes a pretty good leader. 
He founded the X-Men. He's our teacher. I shouldn't really begrudge him that role, should I? Maybe maybe it's a reflection of my performance. Maybe I'm just not good enough, which also doesn't feel Aww. very Storm-like, does it? Well, I think this is something that Chris Claremont wants to play around with. This does feel Storm to me, where she's questioning her, her role as leader. Questioning her role as but yeah, leader, it does, maybe. It, but it also probably coincides with what's happening in Secret Wars right now. Totally does. I totally see that. But uh, I can I can understand her questioning her like dedication to being the leader or if she's qualified to be the leader. But this is like her questioning like her abilities or her confidence. I don't know. It just I don't know. It doesn't seem quite in character to me. But well, you know, it's it's a logical assumption. Uh, maybe the professor is taking over because I'm not a very good leader. Yeah, maybe. So they they uh, they meet. I mean, she did spend the entire adventure outside of the building for this one yeah. with her arms up, apparently. <laughs> Just waiting for. I'm ready. <laughs> I can't go in there because it's too hot. But as soon as they come out with their fire, I will put it out. I no, I control the elements. <laughs> I'll just not be, going in there. Just be out here floating around. Just don't like fire. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I don't like closed-in spots, and I don't like fire. Hmm. So they meet underneath a big street lamp. They start talking about Celine, what kind of a person she is. She's a she's a vampire of some kind. She's got some powers. And the professor is here, so he was also outside, sending his psychic self in to do battle. Right. It's kind of handy. So, yes, he's hanging out on a park bench. Uh, Rogue, or Rachel, is like, uh, I sent... I sensed the psychic keys you taught me, Professor, in her mind. She's some kind of vampire, sustaining herself with life energies of others. And the professor's like, when did we, when did I teach you? We've never met. Right, I keep forgetting that hasn't happened yet. Heck, in reality, neither have I. What? Something about, uh, I was thinking that. Something about that girl's face. She seems strangely familiar. Yeah, it could be Storm saying that. Although it could we, be Nightcrawler, too. And then we cut to a shot of Rachel's face, which looks not familiar at all. Uh, she's got green eyes. Okay, okay. <laughs> I feel rocky if uh, I didn't have to hold on to... Professor Xavier, you're standing! You can walk! And you're Storm! Who else? Your hair, your costume... It, it does, I've seen photographs. You never look like this. Then, child, your pictures and your memories are wrong. No, I can't deny it any longer. I've made a terrible mistake. Somehow I'm stuck in the wrong past, and because of my stupidity, the world is doomed. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and she, uh, I don't know, she lays down on the ground. Next issue, Rogue Public Enemy. We get a, a X-Mail, uh, which is now hosted by Scott and Madeline on their honeymoon. And there's one letter that was written by Brian Gleichman, uh, who is like, the X-Men suck now. <laughs> he basically, yeah. he ba- I don't know if you read this letter, but he basically says like, 94 through 75 were brilliant, wonderful. The opening and closing of a great story. And uh, you've lost the heart. You've lost the love. You've lost the passion. His argument is that you they they spent so much time building up this beautiful love between uh, Scott and Jean, and then she dies giving up herself, and then Scott just gets married to somebody else. Right. Who he believed was Jean uh, uh, resurrected. I, it sounds like he would have been okay with that, but then it turned out that 
she wasn't. And so he's like, I can't do it anymore. This is this 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 is heart wrenching. I love Jean Grey. Right. And the answer, I guess, from Scott and Madeline, because they're writing the letters, answer to letters. Dude, poor Madeline. <laughs> You're wrong, Brian. I only wish there were some way to prove it to you. I just like that response. I read that response and I was like, I got to read this letter. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> like, it's hardly ever in a letter. Usually in the letter section, they're like, well, we don't really agree, but we respect your opinion. They're always such like timid responses. Like they don't want to alienate their fans. But this one was like, nope, you're wrong. Can you imagine Madeline reading these and being like, what are they talking about, Scott? (laughs) How long did it take you to build up that love with that other woman? (laughs) Well, I loved her ever since I was a teenager. And she loved me. Uh, You could say I'm still not over it, which is why I married a woman that looks exactly like her. You. That's weird. (laughs) I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. So there you go. I think that we're still kind of figuring out what's going on as Secret Wars runs through and Chris Claremont is building up plots. I agree. I agree. And uh, these are these plot building episodes are are really good. I like them a lot. It's right. So enough happened in this issue to make a reader feel like this issue was worth it. But you kind of read it and you're like, this felt like a little bit of a filler. Just like the last issue kind of felt like a filler. But things happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but these are good fillers. These are fillers that are necessary. Like I like th- these fillers are building up the story to come. And and they're well they're well done. I don't know. I don't have if if all filler issues were like this, I wouldn't have a problem with filler issues. Uh, yeah. No. I mean, it's it, it's good filler. Um, I I looked up the issue number ninety six just to close the book on that. Uh, they were not dire wrath. They were Ngari. Right. And, Ngari. And uh, the the demon that they fought was Kirok. Um, right. Kirok. And I I want to say that I think I always confused those creatures uh, with the Diorathes, who we will meet in a couple of issues. And I feel like they're drawn similarly, uh, but they are different races entirely. They're probably drawn similarly. <laughs> so there you go. We did get a voicemail this month. I mean, this week. Let's hear it. Hello, Adam and Jeremy. This is Samuel Bear. How do you think the standalone Gambit film will play out? Also, thank you for the shout-out from my Facebook post. Have a great day and a great podcast. Yeah, uh, our pleasure mentioning you on the uh, Facebook post. Um, Adam, what what do you what are your initial thoughts on the standalone uh, Gambit film? I don't like that guy. Who is it again? It's uh, it's Magic it's, Mike, isn't it? Yeah, it's the guy that played that played Duke. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and that's uh, Channing Tatum. Ch- yes, Channing Tatum. Okay, here's the thing about Channing Tatum. I liked him in one movie, what uh, movie? Hail Caesar, that came out really recently. I haven't seen that yet. Was that good? I've heard mixed reviews on it. It's it deserves some mixed reviews. I liked it. Okay. Um, it's it's definitely a very specific thing that exists, and if you like that specific thing, you will like that mo- this movie. If you don't, you won't. So, it, the, it, the, is, the, is the, it the divided rules are make perfect sense? Is it all about uh, a, a group of people hailing uh, the Caesar from Planet of the Apes? Nope. Oh, well then I'm I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> but Channing Tatum is in it. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but he um he's really good in it. Okay. So it kind of a little bit changed my view of Channing Tatum. I lived I lived in a world before that where I thought that Channing Tatum could not be good. I still haven't seen that sci-fi movie that he was in recently that looks horrible, and I really want to see that and I think I'm really going to like that. 
Uh, which it, looks awful. <laughs> is it like in theaters or what, what are you talking no, about? No, the one that the, the Wachowski ones, Jupiter's Circle or whatever oh, it was. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. well, I'm not a big Wachowski brothers or whatever. They're the Wachowski sisters now. Are they? Yeah. They get sex changes? Uh, I think they're both in transition. Seriously? Yeah. I didn't know that. First, one of them was for several years, and then they were they were the Wachowski siblings. Okay. And now I think just recently, like within the last month or so, the second one uh, came out and is transitioning now. So they're they are now the Wachowski sisters. Well, well good for them. Um, I I saw the White House movie that he was in. How was that? Uh, it was bad, <laughs> as <laughs> as bad as you can uh, imagine. And the GI Joe movie was he. He was Duke, but was he like the Duke that died right away? Well, that was the sequel. So in the first one, spoilers, he didn't die. He he does die though, right? He dies in the, at the beginning of the the second one, which I believe was a, re- a reaction to the fan outcry of how terrible he was as Duke. And it wasn't even that he was bad as Duke. It's just that I think there's a right way to play Channing Tatum and there's a wrong way to play Channing Tatum. Oh, I don't know. And I hope this movie gets it right, but... I don't know. I think the 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 wrong way to play Channing Tatum is very popular with a lot of people, so it's highly unlikely that they're going to do it the way that I want them to do it just because it'll be better. Okay. They're going to go with what makes the most money. Absolutely. I have no idea if he can do the Creole or whatever accent. I Cuz when it comes down to it, if he can do the accent, I don't really care. So, yeah, I mean, Channing Tatum, he's a he's a muscly, I guess muscly good-looking guy. Um but he he seems a bit too muscular for Gambit. He he doesn't. You're right. He doesn't seem to have the right build uh, for Gambit. Uh, and I I guess I'm trying to figure out like whoever it is should have kind of like a long he- face uh, and be skinny, like like aerobically fit, but but a skinny dude who can pull off the trench coat and then the wispy long bangs. That if if I, the body doesn't bother me, if he can pull off the accent. And the hair, then I'm, then I'll, I'll be there. Uh, well, and maybe some some bow staff fighting. Right, right. Which you know, and that, the, that's a dime a dozen for movies these days. Yeah, they'll train him for a couple of months. He'll be he'll be good to go. I don't know. I guess I'm kind of looking at the cover of uh, White House Down, uh, and from a distance, he he doesn't actually look that built. But I feel like he is pretty built, isn't he? I think so. I mean, I think he's built in the sense that he was a like Magic Mike is loosely based on something to do with his before he was an actor he was a uh what a uh, male stripper no oh. so he must have a decent bod all right so all that aside so chaining tatum we're 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 on the fence i think we're mostly not on the fence i think we're we're struggling to get on the fence with with chaining tatum i can agree with that but i don't honestly i don't have a better recommendation uh, as for who this day and age could play him i honestly didn't think the first guy was that bad I don't really remember. It kind of makes me want to rewatch that movie because I feel like he died in that movie. But did he? No, I don't think so. I, that movie is such a blur to me. Like, I remember him being in it. I think I remember some charged cards, but... Don't they both end up fighting uh, Deadpool at the end? God, I can't get past Deadpool in that movie. And I can't get past Blob. The Blob was just god awful in that movie <laughs> terrible like why did they pick the blob of all characters to do like if you're gonna do the blob you gotta do him right you can't just make him a big fat guy he's gotta be like i would blob has to be a cg character to be fair the actor that played blob did a good job of the character blob well i mean yeah he... the, the, yeah the 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 effects for blob were not very 
good. Okay, so uh, I don't know, Adam. Does does Gambit have that big of an appeal? A, a, a draw? Is he like a Batman or a Wolverine or a Superman or? I think he did, but I don't know if he does now. Yeah. So well, they. I, I, okay, I think Channing Tatum. Okay. Gambit appeals to women to a degree. Never really followed that, but it seems like it. A lot of the female comics fans that I know that are familiar with the X-Men are like, ooh, Gambit. And I think Channing Tatum also appeals to women. What I think the problem is for me is that that's two different sets of women, but maybe it all crosses over and, you know, hopefully hopefully it'll all work out in the end. I'm pro-Gambit movie. If it's good, I don't care who's in it. I guess, yeah. So, so, so all of that aside, I mean, like, what do you think it's going to be about? Do you think it's going to be about him in the bayou with, uh, what was his girlfriend's name? I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Well, whoever that was, or, uh, they're probably not going to do a rogue crossover because that really wouldn't make sense with what they've established. But since they've thrown everything out and the rules don't apply, they could put rogue in it, I suppose. There are probably like Gambit's had like 8,000 different limited series and his own full running series. So I think there's plenty of stuff for them to pull from to pull from. Oh, yeah, sure, of course. But but I mean, there's no, in my opinion, and, and again, I guess Gambit is, you know, towards the end of my comic book collecting. So obviously I was there for when he was introduced but not really there so much for his horsemen and his limited series is but i mean he doesn't i don't think have like a classic series like wolverine does or like batman does or yeah but did did you know what deadpool's classic series was i knew that he did, was developed out of what x-force right or new mutants right yeah so you would say i would say and from talking to you right now that you know as much about gambit as you do about Deadpool, maybe more. I probably about- know more about Gambit than I did going. Okay, so so all right, y- you've given that, given the fact that I went into Deadpool knowing way less about Deadpool than I did about Gambit, and I thoroughly enjoyed the movie so much so that I saw it twice. At this point, we should just review Deadpool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thumbs up. (laughs) But I don't think that Gambit gets the same treatment as Deadpool. Deadpool works because... uh, Deadpool works because... I don't know, Deadpool works. Like That's the character... He's is Gambit a funny guy? Is he got well, attitude? No, no, no. You're or? not. I'm. I'm only comparing uh, Deadpool in the to Gambit in the sense that there. I couldn't like even to this day, having seen the movie and enjoyed the movie, I couldn't tell you what the definitive Deadpool story is. Right. I wouldn't know where to turn to get the movie that I uh, to get the story that I saw in the movie. I don't know what comic series that came out of. I don't know if it's part of the history of Deadpool. I don't know anything about that. So. There's a lot of what I'm what I'm saying is that there's a lot of gambit that I don't know about either. So maybe somewhere in all of that stuff that I'm not familiar with, there's a really good gambit story. And I wouldn't say that the story that was presented in the movie of Deadpool was the definitive Deadpool story, but I I don't know. Maybe right. maybe it was. That that's that's fair. You've you've turned me around, Adam. So here's what I'll say, Samuel Bear. If they get a strong writer and a really good director, it could be awesome. But they probably won't, so don't <laughs> hedge your bets. <laughs> I would go into that movie with low expectations. Uh speaking of expectations and and low, I guess, uh I saw the latest um X-Men Apocalypse trailer in front of Batman versus Superman. Me too. Yeah. That was a good... Actually, no, the trailer was very forgettable. The only thing that was uh, memorable about it, and the only thing that I'm really looking forward to, is um, uh, Psylocke. Yeah, she looks good. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, it, it she looks good, of course. Um, and I've always been on the fence about, uh, uh, what's her name? Olivia Munn, who plays her. Because she always just kind of seems to like do whatever 
is popular. Like she was a daily show host for like a minute and then she was on uh, some geek show for like a minute and then she she just seems to like go wherever things are popular. So uh, all I know about Olivia Munn is that geeks do not like her. Well, and I don't I don't fully understand why. Maybe it's something that would be what you're talking about. But I, I just I just feel bad for her. I um right. And so maybe this isn't going to help and I haven't really read much of that geek hate, uh but I I feel um, I guess as having some geek cred, uh, that she's kind of a poser. So- I don't think you can. I, yeah, I'm maybe, but I, I like like poser in the sense that she doesn't have background, or the or, or that she really doesn't like comic books, or 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 whatever geek thing that she's into. I guess I it's it's not really for me to judge, and I kind of feel bad doing it, but it's just. The, the 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 impression I get from the things that I've seen in her is that she she is able to figure out what is popular geek culture and like get in on it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it's, that's kind of icky in some ways, but in in other ways, it's just like when something's popular, people are drawn to it. And if if she's drawn to it and isn't just doing it because it's popular, but but doing it because it's popular, does that make any sense? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, she, like she's actually excited by it and she becomes aware of it because it's popular, but she doesn't become a part of it because it's popular. I don't know. I I just I guess I'm uh, optimistic now, like beforehand, when I saw some of the pictures, I think, I can't remember what magazine they came out of, I was like, oh, really her? I mean, I guess it makes sense. She's she's kind of uh, ethnic looking or whatever. Um, but seeing that trailer and she's doing the flips and she's got the costume and she got the psychic knives and stuff, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm game. I'm in. She looks right for the part. And like the costume, like that's really to me what is missing. And I think I've been completely turned around on uh, is costumes, right? So like the original X-Men movies came out and they came out with their bland black outfits because probably when that movie came out which was what like 1999 or whenever that movie came out uh, they yeah i think 2000s right um they didn't have the budget the makeup or whatever to come up with convincing comic book costumes so they just went with black leather and have stuck with it but the avengers came along and showed us like you can do costumes like they don't have to be comic perfect but they can be colorful form-fitting and still look really cool. And so right. so now when I'm going to superhero movies, like I don't want to see the Fantastic Four wearing leather, one-piece leather suits. I don't want to see the X-Men. I want to see, you know what would make me very happy is if in the last Wolverine movie, all of the action scenes, Logan is wearing his Wolverine costume. They teased it in the last one. No, they didn't. There was like a there was like they a They teased it. They teased it in a cut scene. Yeah, like he pulls out the mask and like if I want to see that movie. Like, I don't care how bad it is, but if I can see Wolverine in his yellow and black suit with the the cowl. I agree with you. And I think they've proved it can be done. Then then that could be the one. I don't care if it's a bad old man, Logan. If he's got the costume, then I'm in. And so the same thing could be said for, for Gambit. If they put him in the right costume and they get you know the right story and all that sort of stuff, uh, it, it could all be good. So there. So quick question. Yes. Unrelated. Okay. What is your... Uh, what was your what was your gut reaction to Batman versus Superman? Spoiler warning for Batman versus Superman. So I stayed as far away from uh, Batman v Superman related reviews and speculations leading up to the movie because I was already going into it with a very meh 
opinion because mm-hmm. uh, the super Man of Steel, I think, was that what it was called? Or Superman Lives or whatever that last... Yeah, Man of Steel. Man of Steel. So, so that movie totally underwhelmed me. Like, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it at home. I don't think I really read any reviews, but I was like, eh, it's Man of Steel. It's Superman. We'll watch it. And I was like, this is... This is like, I can't see it. It's really dark. Things are just blowing up left and right. Superman's a hobo. I don't get any of this. Like, none of this makes any sense. So that movie left a boring taste behind. And so going into Batman v Superman, I was like, yeah, you know, I'll go see it. It's Batman versus Superman. Um, I guess, you know, they, they were bringing Ben Affleck in there and they, I think it was kind of teased that it was supposed to be Dark Knight Returns-esque. And it was, but it wasn't, really. Um, Not really, no. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's the angle that they were going for. That's that's what they were trying to sell it with, I but, guess. But, but it, it's about as loosely connected to Bat, uh, Dark Knight Returns as Wolver- the, uh, Wolver- the Wolverine was connected to the Wolverine limited series. Yeah, yeah. So, so and then... Um, you know, I don't really care about Superman. Period. I'll watch the movies, of course, but I, the comic book, like I don't, I know, I know what everybody knows. He's from Krypton, and Kryptonite's bad. That's like all, and Lois Lane. That's all I know. Um, so I didn't really care about that aspect. And I heard it was two and a half hours, and I heard that there's a three hour cut, and I was like, Jesus Christ! So then <laughs> I went and saw the movie, and uh, it was, you know, it was dark, and I, I don't mean like dark toned. It was just film dark, and like yeah. I think we've. I, at least I, and maybe DC's just going for a different vision, but like the Avengers are bright and they pop off the screen every now and then they go to a dark scene, like when they're having a battle or whatever, and it needs to get serious. Like the music gets serious and the lighting gets serious. But then when they're like doing hero stuff, it's bright and poppy. In Batman, it was like just film dark and just dark music and loud and everything was like the music itself i think was driving me crazy because like everything was momentous and huge and needed a giant score behind it and i was like he's just walking down the street you don't need all this music um yeah i really liked the opening scene uh with um bruce wayne going to the funeral and then the zorro murder and the pearls and all that i thought that was very cool that they and that of course is almost that's Dark Knight Returns. Well, I mean it's Batman's origin, but uh, that is to Batman Return or Dark Knight Returns as the Wolverine is to you know the opening shot with the wolf, right? Mm-hmm. And then you know just then it goes on its own little path. <sighs> I don't know. I'm I'm going all over the place, but I guess I just I was not I was underwhelmed. I was whelmed, <laughs> just somewhere in the middle where I was like, okay, you know, they fought. Uh, I liked, I liked the Batman suit, not the metal one, but his suit. It was gray and black. But I really felt like they just beefed Ben Affleck up. Like I felt like his body was disproportionate to his head, and he just, to me, as I was watching it, he looked like a like a big wrestler guy. <laughs> I was like, that's that just, I don't know. And then I think I read somewhere that they had a body double do all that, and I was like, I don't know what to believe, but it, the body did seem disproportionate. Um, and then, of course, they were fighting for seemingly no reason, and then they all stopped fighting because your mom's name is my mom's name. <laughs> <laughs> we have the same mom. Well, I'm going to go save her. And then Lois Lane goes to get that spear that she had just thrown in the water, and I was half expecting Aquaman to jump out and be like, here's the spear! <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on, this is such a horrible setup. Although maybe it would have been cool. I doubt it, but I don't know. 
Yeah, and then of course Superman dies. Like uh, it, it just really didn't feel like uh, we had developed any sort of connection to either of those characters to care um, about anything, about the outcome of the fight, uh, about Superman dying supposedly, and then uh, Doomsday. Like again, not a big DC person, but I thought Doomsday was a guy, like a conscious guy who hated ba- uh, Superman, not a, a mutant Krypton ape. <laughs> Um, I, I I don't think he's a mutant Krypton ape, but I don't know if he's just a guy. I thought he was like a Superman arch nemesis, whatever. It doesn't matter. As far as I know, the only thing that Doomsday really means in comics is Superman's going to die. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Maybe that's, I, I could have it all wrong again. I'm, you know, disclaimer, I'm not a DC guy. Definitely not a Superman guy. Although I thought that when... Uh, Superman was in space and he was like all decrepit. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it looked very much like Bizarro Superman. And I was really, really hoping <laughs> that they, like, he was going to fly down and be like, bad bye. And we'd do that whole thing. But that, that didn't happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, and then of course, you know, I started reading reviews afterwards and, you know, I, I try I, I try to put them in my own words. I've probably used some other people's words just because you hear a lot of stuff afterward. Um, but my my initial reaction after the movie was over uh, was simply like it exists. It's it's meh. Like I'm not invested. I don't hate it. Like it was it was okay, but it wasn't like I'm not. Oh my god, I gotta see that again. Or I guess there was a ton of Easter eggs in there, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Adam? Uh, so, like you, I pretty much avoided everything. I'd heard that all the reviews were pretty much terrible. Um, so my expectations were very low going in. Um, so that said, I I don't disagree with anything that you said. However, I actually enjoyed it quite a lot. Oh. I came out of the movie theater with a big smile on my face. Um, yes, it doesn't make any sense. Yes, it's ridiculous, but I enjoyed it in the sense of fascination of just kind of, it was very, it, I think, I feel like it was uh, very comic booky. And I think, you know, yeah, it's 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 a bit too dark and, and it's not as bright as the Avengers, but I feel like it captures, like the Avengers are going for a sort of realism sort of thing. And I think that's why a lot of people are mad is because this wasn't the Avengers, but. Well, it, it it's set a pretty high bar, but let me, I guess, let me qualify the, the lighting statement. Like it, everything was dark. It's like they filmed the thing. No, no, I agree with you. That was the big flaw of Man of Steel was that it was too dark. They, they like put pantyhose over the lens and started filming, right? No, it's it's all it's all filters. There's actually a cut of Man of Steel where they they change it back to the way that it was before they added all the filters. Right. And it's a pretty bright looking thing. And it should and I've seen screenshots of that as well and, and it should be like Superman is should be bright blue and, and red. That's why he's colored that way. <laughs> like he shouldn't yeah. be muted. It's, I would ex- it's they're making some weird choices in these films, but I kind of want them to I want to see where the heck they're going with it cuz like I, they they feel wrong, but I got to respect their commitment. Uh I don't know why. And maybe it was the costume choice again. Uh, I really dug Wonder Woman and yeah. you know when she popped out and didn't I mean you knew who she was right away but when she actually popped out in her costume and she, she had the the lasso uh, and she was doing her things I was like man why didn't they come out with like a Wonder Woman movie like why like I get they don't want to copy the Avengers they don't want to do all these solo movies leading up to a team movie because that's what Marvel does so they're trying to do something different and I, I can respect that but on the other hand I could see why Marvel did it because it, it works right you, you 
you get invested in all these characters. And by the time it becomes a team, it's like you don't have to deal with any backstory or, right. or any introductions. Like, here these people are. You know them. You love them. And even if you don't like Captain America, you probably liked Iron Man. So here they are. And they're doing... Fun stuff. Um, I just, I guess my, I'm, 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 I'm intrigued and curious to see what the three hour cut looks like. Cause one of the other things I read afterwards was they basically. Well, it's gotta have some plot points to it. <laughs> well, it's gotta have that. But what I also read is that they cut like every establishing shot. Because one of the things that I also is like it just kept going. Like yeah. a steamroller. Like there was never any sort of, I mean, I think there were some large aerial shots of Metropolis or Gotham or wherever they were. But And I think that's part of my fascination is there are like, it it runs like a film that I've never seen. Like it was unique. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give and you that. that's not necessarily a good thing, but it, like a lot of people are saying that it's boring and I definitely didn't think it was boring. I wasn't, I wasn't bored. Like a lot of people, I think. I, I gather felt that the first half was boring because there's no action. And I get that, but I didn't find it boring. I just found it like I, I couldn't figure out what was right. what was so weird about it, but I couldn't stop watching. It was almost like a car crash or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I was never bored. And I guess for me, it was more of a, a fascination of like, what are they doing? How are they going to make this happen? I guess. And then also like, why is Lex Luthor making terrible, terrible jokes? Like, <laughs> and I was at one person brought that up to me. I was like, oh, I thought he was just, you know, he's just weird. So he's just making jokes that aren't funny. Like, I think it was written that way. He's like, no, no, no. I think they were serious. Like they seriously thought that was going to be like the, the comic relief of the movie. Right, because every movie usually has, like, build up a bunch of tension, and then you do a little joke to relieve the tension, and then you can build the tension back up again so that you can kind of manipulate your audience into uh, kind of that roller coaster ride, right? The roller coaster isn't all down and then you're done. You know, you, you, you stop and you go, and that's what makes it exciting. This movie didn't really have that. There was one kind of chuckle moment I had. I don't really remember what the joke was. I think Batman made it. It was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but But other than that, there was, like, no other moments of humor and mm-hmm. i thought i thought that was weird i mean they're not they're not comedies by any stretch but you know even the avengers are really good at like just throwing here's a zinger zing and you laugh and then then they fight right I don't yeah. know. and of course it's not fair to compare it to the avengers because it's trying to be its own thing and i guess i'm just kind of you know is it going to work is it going to make enough money is it going to be worthwhile to do a justice league movie or is warner brothers going to be like well, we got to pull back a little bit so i, I don't know very curious to see what happens. So, I, I I definitely thought it was an improvement over Man of Steel, which I did not enjoy at all. Yeah, I yeah, I, I guess I'll give you that. I'll probably be talking or thinking about Batman v Superman much longer than I'll be. Well, certainly longer than I thought about Man of Steel, which was hardly at all. <laughs> So, there you go. Uh, if you'd like to, you know, trigger a conversation like that, all you need to do is get in contact uh, with us. We're at uh, DangerRoom at RedCapProductions.com, or you can visit us at XMenPodcast.com, Facebook.com forward slash XMenPodcast, um, at DangerRoomGo. We're on Stitcher for your internet radio. You can go into iTunes. You can type in Danger Room. Uh, find us, subscribe to us, um, leave a review, some stars, whatever you want to do, uh, or you can call us, you know, just like Samuel Bear did. 501-GET-X-MEN. Go Samuel Bear. Yes. So, we did some additional reading today, or this week. Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> what would you like to cover first, Adam? Uh, we, can, we can cover them alphabetically. 
All righty. What happened in Alpha Flight? In Alpha Flight number 13, so as I told you last week, last episode, um, James McDonald, is that his last name? Yeah. Uh, died. Yep. So this uh, issue opens with the funeral, and it's wordless for about nine pages. And there's a lot of hugging and members of Alpha Flight leaving and a familiar figure watches the whole thing from behind a tree and Heather McDonald collapses after everybody leaves. Heather McDonald collapses onto James McDonald Hudson's grave and then he bursts out as a flaming skeleton. And that's when Wolverine jumps out from behind the tree, pops his claws and attacks the skeleton. And then the flaming skeleton's burns off his face and goes after Heather and uh, and then she wakes up. It was a dream. No. And then the rest of the issue is there are two and a half pages of recap, which makes me wonder, does John Byrne, like every other issue before this one, before the last one, had backup stories? And he's writing Fantastic Four at this time too. So I just feel like, does he not know how to fill an entire comic's worth of comics? So in The Hidden Years, which he wrote and drew, uh, for those of you astute listeners who recall, I covered all 13 issues or however many in one episode. He would recap every issue the very next issue. Okay. And it was like a full page of like, you know, somebody this reflecting. Is, and This I, is nearly three pages of recapping the last issue. Well, I mean, by the time The Hidden Years came around, he had craft like finely tuned his craft he's like i could get these recaps down to a page like i can't fill 20 pages but i can fill 19 pages or however many pages were in those books so heather is trying to get the canadian government to give her husband a uh some sort of royal funeral. And she's really down on her luck. Uh, she no longer has a place to live. She lost all her money in their previous place to live. She can't afford to live in the New York apartment that they got. Um, her husband just died. Uh, things are bad. And uh, it's kind of where we where we leave off. Mm-hmm. It's, pre- it's a pretty dire issue. I guess. What happened in Dazzler? Um, well, Dazzler number 33 has a wonderful painted cover this is a great cover. I honestly would like this. I would put on a poster, right? I get rid of the Dazzler in Chiller and the little Marvel box. Get rid of all of that and just put the original painting in a frame. This is a Bill Sienkiewicz. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, and it's it's Dazzler as a zombie. And she's wearing a very familiar red jacket. And then there's a whole bunch of like weirdo zombies behind her. And they're all reaching out for us. This The cover's the best part of this whole issue. <laughs> Uh, but to summarize... Actually, the art is by Mark Bright, who would later take on uh, G.I. Joe, such as the 100th issue. He was one of the better G.I. Joe artists. You know what? Uh, that doesn't surprise me. I, I, I did not make that connection, but reading this issue and just kind of looking at his lines and his drawings, I'm like, this is very um, cartoony, uh, which fits a G.I. Joe comic perfectly. Like this, Looking at this, I can see his art in those later G.I. Joe issues. I don't know if that makes sense. (laughs) He doesn't do much with like hash marks and and such. But anyways, uh, yeah, so this issue starts out like the famous Michael Jackson music video thriller where Dazzler and her friend are at a movie theater. Dazzler gets scared. It's a Vincent Price movie. Very much like the thriller video. They walk out and they're scared and, and that's where it all kind of changes. Her buddy, uh, uh, I can't remember his name, 
the actor guy. It doesn't matter. He says, I got a job for Roman. you. Yeah, yeah. Roman Nicoba invites her to a party and says, okay, I want you to meet people, but not everybody because not everybody's good. And she meets a guy and he says, I like your look. Why don't you stop by the set tomorrow? And while she's there, his car blows up and she's like, oh my God, where is he? He just offered me a job and his car blew up. That's really weird. So she goes and finds him. He's actually in the bushes like, oh, I got thrown clear, but I'm fine. I got a jinx. Weird things are happening to me all the time. And she's like, huh, that's weird. So then she goes to the set and uh, she, she's like, oh, he's like, you're amazing. I want you to go work with makeup. You're hired. And so she does and she goes, sits down in makeup and they make her up to look like a zombie. And she's like, oh, this is weird. This isn't really what I expected. And that's when we meet the star of the music video that she's about to perform in. Uh, I can't remember his name. It's like Kenny something or other, but... Teddy Lingard. Teddy Lingard. He's a dead ringer for Michael Jackson. And that's when you realize they're about to shoot, well, a thriller-esque video. Mm -hmm. And Allison is going to be a zombie who performs one of the dance numbers. Meanwhile, while they're getting ready to get the scene set up, this director guy calls the police and said, oh my gosh, you got to get down here. There's been an accident. And the 911 operator's like, who is this? We need your name. Then you get the feeling that maybe he's staging his own accidents. Hmm. So the scene calls for all the zombies to get into their graves, and so they do. This includes Allison. She's not quite sure about this. And uh, one of the, the grips or what have you, they bury her and she's she's under there and she's like, oh my gosh, I really wish I would have listened to Roman because she's essentially buried alive. So they're filming the scene when Michael, I'm sorry, Teddy walks by the <laughs> graveyard and everybody comes out of the grave. They call action. All of the zombies except for one get out of their grave. The director calls cut, goes over to Allison's grave and is like, oh my God, there's no air hose. She's dying under there. She's probably dead. Oh my God, the news crew is here. Not now. How could this be? And so Dazzler uses her powers to uh, get out of the grave, making a little hole, and then she climbs out, zombie-esque style, grabs the director, knocks him over, and uh, starts talking like a zombie. Bob Benson, you did this. You're to blame. And the director guy, whose name is Bob Benson, he literally thinks that she's a zombie chasing after him. He's freaked out and he's running away. He heads back to his trailer and she's like, you knew I was going to die. You knew there wasn't any air and you called the reporters. You set up all your accidents. You're not jinxed. You're to blame, and he admits everything. He admits that he was doing it just for attention. And Dazzler pulls off her makeup and is like, oh, you're a sucker. And he runs away, and that's when Teddy uses one of his patented dance moves to trip the director. And he falls forward, and the cops arrest him. Dazzler's like, oh, you're pretty cool. Well, I better go call Roman, let him know I'm all right. And that's when Teddy thinks to himself, huh, I need a new director. Maybe I should get the guy who directed an American werewolf in London. Maybe he could do my video. Wah, wah. Totally. Like, wow. What a terrible, terrible issue. I, really? I, I liked this issue. Normally, I skim through Dazzler, but I actually read this one because, I don't know, it f flowed well. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it was stupid. But yeah, normally I can't, like, it's difficult to read, so I, I just kind of <laughs> skim it. The last panel, she says, bye, Ted. It's been a thrill working for you. There's a couple of other. Uh, he also says, um, uh, where does he say it? Uh, he says, call me Ted and 
I'm not like other guys, right? Which is a line from the Thriller video. Oh. Yeah, so there's other little... So the director of the Thriller video was the director from An American Werewolf in London. Right. Uh, John Landis? Maybe. Yeah, pretty sure it was. <laughs> Anyhow, there was, there was Dazzler. Uh, Defenders number 134. Um, this guy called Manslaughter shows up and... Uh, Kills the defenders one by one, starting with Cloud. Well, starting with Gargoyle, and then Cloud, and um, then it turns out that it was all a ploy because the defenders knew he was coming, and that they're not really dead. Um, yeah, defenders is really losing me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it it and I'm, it must not be doing so well either because the last page is a half page where the 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 last the four panels are the top half and the the letters are the bottom half. So I don't know. And it ends with a weird thing where Cloud is hugging Moondragon and she says, don't cry, Moondragon, please. Don't hurt, Moondragon. I love you. And I don't think that goes anywhere. Wow. <laughs> Did you know mm-hmm. that John Landis was put on trial for the th- three deaths in Twilight Zone movie, in the Twilight Zone movie? There were, there were three deaths in the Twilight Zone movie? I didn't know that either. Apparently somebody got killed by a helicopter uh, and another person was decapitated by helicopter blades. Whoa. Yeah. And Whoa. Yeah. It's a good movie, but I didn't know that three people died on the set. Apparently none of their stories were featured in the movie. Was William Shatner one of them? Uh, well, he was, maybe because he wasn't in the movie. Maybe they maybe they killed uh, William Shatner and they got, uh, uh, what's his face, to, to pinch it for him. It was William Shatner. Well, William Shatner was in the original Twilight Zone episode, but it was... Yeah, uh, but he was in the movie remake of the episode, too. Was he? Yeah, that was him. No, he wasn't He wasn't the passenger. That was um, what was the other guy. It was the bald guy. It was the guy who's always bad. He was in a season of Dexter. He was in right. uh, uh, Third Rock like from the Sun. Oh, John Lithgow? John Lithgow. He was in Harry and the Hendersons. Wait, was that John Lithgow? Really? Yeah, John Lithgow was the William guy... Shatner. I know William Shatter was in the original, but I could have swore that he was in the remake, too. Okay. Nope. Uh, it's the things that your mind tells you. Anyhow, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Carry on with your really, really interesting Defenders review. Oh, no, I'm done. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Let's move I, on to New Mutants. Uh, so we left off with New Mutants where the, the Danny's bear killed herself or killed her. So they, they're bringing her into the hospital. I don't care about any of this. All you guys need to know out there, like it, like, no, I'm, gi- I'm giving them, I'm giving them the lead up. Ugh. Um, I mean, not ugh, like it's great. Like it's, it's Bill Sienkiewicz again. And it's, it's just fantastically drawn. Like it deserves super high quality paper and, and hard binding. Like it, it's really, it's really well drawn. So, carry on. So uh, let me let me just give a summary before you get to the X Men related part, um, which is only like a page. But uh, uh, so they're in the, they're all in the hospital, and actually, what's really cool about this issue is it, it actually feels like a horror movie. Like I was actually creeped out reading this issue. No, I totally. I mean, the whole thing is set up um, to be kind of like it's snowy. They're in a hospital. They're kind of trapped. There's weird things happening. Yeah, no, it's there's great. A deadly bear stalking them in the hospital, and uh, we there, there's a it's change, it change, by the end it changes into a sort of metaphysical thing where the bear is uh, it's killed two people, but then it kind of resurrects them and they're in the bear's world and somehow tell a. Uh, Pathically connected to Danny or something. I'm not. I'm not really sure. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. But yeah, this is a good issue. So the part that you're talking about, 
Go right ahead. Oh, well, I mean, got? Uh, they're in space and a very scary looking chode is there shaking his magnificent paw. And, uh, you know, Wait, are you trying to say that there's a cameo by the star jammers? I don't know, Adam, because these are very scary looking star jammers. Like th- <laughs> this might be bizarro star jammers. Cause you've got like chode looks weird. And then you get to binary and she's just got like a star flame erupting out of her head. And then uh Corsair just in the front with shadows, he's got a like, I can't even explain what he looks like, but he looks freaking amazing. So you might think that I'm judging this panel harshly. So these are not the Star Jammers that you've ever seen in the X-Men comic, but they still look darn cool. But anyways, the sensors have picked up uh, a a very powerful uh, projectile in space heading towards the Earth. And it has an energy potential that matches the star jammers, which I really don't know what that means. Uh, They don't know if it's a, or they're asking if it's a threat, but before anybody can answer, uh, I think it passes by them. And then Waldo chimes in, who's their computer, and says, yep, it's super dangerous. It's heading towards Earth. And then they're like, well, what should we do? What about my children? What about the X-Men? What are we going to do? Can we... Can we can we get those creatures? And uh, Waldo's like, well, we can pursue it, but we can't catch it. And they can't teleport. I think there's a character called Stargate who could teleport them. But Waldo's like, nah, that's not going to work. So there's like nothing we can do. They can, Lilandra's there and she's like, well, we could go there and we'll avenge their deaths. <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> um, so do we, do we know who this powerful creature is? Yeah, it's Warlock. Is it Warlock or is it Magus? Or well, is it's it probably both? it's probably Magus. Okay, I think it's Magus. But yeah, anyway, so that's that's the part that I care about. Uh, the rest of this is again, it just continues on with this horror story and kind of a mystery thing that's going on, uh, and then it just ends with like this gigantic. Oh, actually, some other cool things happen. Um, Ileana, as she is uh, fighting against the Soul Bear or whatever, she gets struck in the back, and some armor appears, and she's oh, that's like. Right. Yeah. And she's like, what? Did this happen once before? But now there's more of it. Where is this stuff coming from? So it seems to kind of be when she's using her magic, maybe. Uh, so we're getting a little bit of a mystery there. And then the whole thing ends with this gigantic bear. Like, remember last week I said, it was a huge bear. This bear is like four times the size of that bear now. And in, in the middle, you've got like some, like a police officer and a nurse who are under somebody's control. There's a bubble because they're operating on Danny, the 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 doctors are and then the new mutants are like on a i don't know a, like a different plane of existence well, yeah there's a scene where they're like they're operating on danny and then the power goes out and everybody's like nobody move the generator should be coming out in a second that was freaky yeah no it, this is this is great this is really good so listeners do yourself a a, a solid and read these so it ends with them being transported to the bear world. Yeah. So. And uh, gosh, darn it. The cover of the next issue. I haven't read that one yet because I started reading these like a few weeks ago. I was like, oh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because we've got to talk about these. <laughs> so I, I stopped on that issue, but I saw the cover of the next issue. I was like, I just want to keep reading these. These are really good. So New Mutants has turned the tide, everybody. If you were on the fence before because you felt it was too kitty or whatever, it's pretty cool. It's pretty good. And you got it. It'll stay this way for about 10 more issues. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just like anything, it kind of ebbs and flows, but, you know, whatever. So, yeah, you got anything else, Adam? That'll be it for this one. All righty, then. Until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's William Shatner. And the Enterprise room is beaming down. (laughs) Weak. (laughs) It was pretty weak. I don't have anything better. Uh, And the force fields are down? Just give it up. All right. (laughs) And they say it.